Jesus said in Matthew 28 verse 19, Go therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Welcome to Go Teach All Nations, bringing you Christ's teachings through Australian and international speakers. And here is today's presenter, Fanae Power. I'm going to share with you um, something which God has placed upon my heart, and I pray that as we leave here today, that we all may leave edified, that we may leave admonished, that God has called us to be overcomers every day of the week. So let us pray. Our Father God in heaven, Lord, I come to you as weak and as feeble as I am, asking, Lord, that you may please use me, Father, for I am weak, but you are strong. Father, I pray that whatever is said and spoken, that your people may be edified and that they may be led closer to the cross. Forgive me, Father, for I am nothing. But, Father, I pray that Jesus Christ may be lifted up and that all men and women shall be drawn unto him. I thank you, Father, that you hear my prayer. For I ask it, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have your Bible, could you please turn to Ephesians chapter 6? Ephesians chapter 6, and we'll read from verse 10. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 10. And when you get there, you can say amen. Amen. Okay, the Bible says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Verse 12, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand, stand therefore having your loins girt about with truth and having on the breastplate of righteousness and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Verse 16, you can read with me. Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith you shall be able to quench the fiery darts of the wicked. No one's reading. Verse 17, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And verse 18, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. Now, when we read these verses, I just want to let you know that we, we, we're looking at the armor of God. And you find that when Paul is writing to the church in Ephesus, he places an emphasis not so much on one piece of the armor. He says, put on the whole armor of God. That means that one armor by itself is not sufficient enough. I don't know if you're following. But in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, it talks about how we wrestle not against flesh and blood, do you believe that? Yes. Sometimes I believe that because sometimes your greatest enemies is the people that sit in the same pew as you. You wrestle against flesh and blood. But then it goes on to say that we, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. The way in which I want to illustrate this is I'll just share this story with you. I was door knocking in this area just over here, two blocks away. And as I was door knocking, I actually knocked on this door. And I didn't notice that the, the door that I was knocking on, that it was the back door. And so this man, he came to the curtain and he opened the curtain. And as I looked at him, he had long black hair. He had eyeliner underneath his eyes. And he had some uh, tattoos all over his body. But then he had some 
like some earrings in his face as well. And he said, come around to the front. So I walked around to the front. And as I was coming to the front door of his uh, house, I noticed that he had some, some necklaces on the front door. And as I looked into this home, there was all these symbols inside his home. And he came to the door and he was holding a big rat. Now I was like, what in the world? He's holding a big rat. <laughs> he had this big rat in his hand and he was patting it. You know, in those sinister movies where they're petting the cat? Well, this guy was petting a rat. <laughs> and so he was petting this rat and he was saying, how are you? I said, I'm well. And I started to tell him what, I was, what we were doing. And he said, oh, please come inside. So I came inside his home and looked all around and we saw these symbols. And oh, it was a very interesting home. And um, he sat me down and he, what he did was he, he wanted to shake my hand. And in my head, I was like, you're just touching a rat. So I was like, <laughs> and in my head, I was saying, man, I'm going to have to use oxy action on this hand and disinfectant on this hand. I'm being serious. Yeah, I was like, man, I won't use this hand anymore. So I started showing him some of the books and I said, I'm going to disinfect that book and that book and that book. <laughs> But yeah, he, had, he actually had two rats. And I was like, man, who has a rat as a pet? Um, but this man did. And so we were talking, and I found out what his name was. Um, and what was very interesting was, um, I, as Ellie's, what we do, we try to transition from physical to spiritual. So I asked him a question, are you a spiritual person? And the first words that came out of his mouth, he said, I'm a witch. And in my, when I was sitting there, I was like, Lord have mercy. Like, like seriously, like who goes into a house of a witch? And I was, I was sitting in front of this, this witch, and he had black hair. And, but at the same time, brothers, as I share that with you, I still believe that he was a child of God. Because Jesus died for him as well. And so, and that's the beautiful thing about it, that we go to places where even people who are entrenched in sin, God wants to save them as well. And so as I was sitting there with him, he told me, yeah, I'm a witch. And then after that, fan, beautiful. <laughs> after that, fan came. Um, but yeah, thank you, James. Uh, so what happened was um, then he told me, I'm guessing you're a Christian. And I said, yes, how did you know? And he said, I could just tell when I saw you. And in my mind, I was saying, man, can you believe that, that witches can actually tell whether you're a Christian? And I was sitting there, I was, I was amazed. So I told him, I told, he told me like his story. And he said, um, I actually came there because he said that there are certain periods where these witches, they can cast spells. And he said, for the next, the next two weeks, I can't cast spells on anyone. So I was sitting there, I was like, okay. And he told me he was playing with tarot cards and Uji boards and all these, yeah, these dark things. And I was, I was praying, Lord, what should I say to him? What should I say to him? And uh, one of the LEs, which I won't name, they were coming to the door to knock on the door. And as they knocked on the door, he said straight away, come in. And I spoke with the individual afterwards, and they did tell me that they heard the voice of him um, saying, come in. And they saw the symbols inside, and they say, uh-uh. <laughs> and then they looked inside, and they saw me, and they said, thank you that someone's in there. <laughs> Um, and so as I was 
I was in there. He was just, he showed me around his home and he had all these mirrors around his home. He said, I'm trying to get light in here. And I was saying, man, I have books that have light in them. I'll show you. And so um, he actually told me he was, he was blind. He, he had like peripheral vision. So I had a, a, a DVD by Doug Batchelor, which I gave him about Bible prophecy. And he eventually took that. But what he did tell me was he used to be a Christian. And I was like, what? You're a witch that used to be a Christian. And I said, please tell me your story. What happened? He said um, his, his, father, well, his father was a pedophile. And then as he grew up, he left his father. And his stepfather, what his stepfather did was he broke all his bones in his body when he was nine years of age. And in my head, I was saying, man, sometimes parents, you are the only Bible that your children can read. And so this man, he decided to become a witch because of what his father did for him. And as I was reflecting on it, and he was, he was telling me, where was Jesus? Where was Jesus in my soul? Like, where was he? And I wanted to respond, but man, I didn't. But what I wanted to share with him is, and which I want to share with you is, is it possible that the suffering that you're going through at this present moment, that it isn't necessarily just for yourself per se? The reason why I say that is, if you have your Bibles, please turn to Hebrews 2. Hebrews chapter 2. Because sometimes you can go through suffering and trials in life, and, and we cannot necessarily overcome them, and we, we pray, like why, like, why me, Lord? I'm a good person. I return my time. Why, Lord, me? I come to church every Saturday. Why me? And so in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 18, I just want to share this with you, um, because I found it an encouragement, and I wanted, I wanted to share with him, but I didn't eventually share it with him. But he was asking the question, look, where was Jesus in all my suffering? And what I'm trying to tell you is, is it possible that the suffering that you're going through, it isn't necessarily just for yourself? So in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 18, the Bible says, For in that he himself suffered, being what? Being tempted, he is able also to succor. What does succor mean? Help. Help. Succor them that are tempted. So what I, what I wanted to share was, with him was, is it possible that the suffering that you're going through, that when you do get the victory and when you do overcome, that you can share with others who are going through the same thing and you can sympathize with them and say, hey, look, sister, brother, I went through that and I can share with you how I, can, how I overcame. Do you understand what I'm saying thus far? If someone is sleeping next to you, please shove them gently. <laughs> I'm almost finished. I'm almost finished. Um, but if you turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. So I wanted to share that story with you due to the fact that the spiritual warfare that we are in, that it's not fiction. Like there are actually people out there who practice these things and who used to be Christian. And God wants to use us to reach them. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 55, if you get there, you can please say Amen. Okay, very good. Verse 55, and the Bible says, O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin. The strength of sin is the law. Verse 57, but thanks be to God that giveth us the victory through who? Our Lord Jesus Christ. Then verse 58, it says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. So when I read verse 57, I don't know how you read it, but this is how I read it. When it says, But thanks be to God that giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. When I read that, that tells me that victory is a gift. It's something that is given to you. 
But the interesting thing I want you to notice is the victory over what? Question. Okay, context first and then we'll get there. Victory over... Someone said it? Victory over death. Because 1 Corinthians 15 talks about the resurrection. So when it talks about victory, victory over death, now we can compare Scripture with Scripture. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death. So when you put it together, the way I read it is, when it talks about victory, it talks about victory over death, victory over sin. Very good. You're following. But at the same time, I want you to notice, but it says, But thanks be to God that gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Do not wait till you get the victory till you give thanks. I'll say that again. Do not wait till you get the victory before you give thanks to God. Learn to give thanks first, and then the victory will come. Daniel chapter 6. Daniel chapter 6. I'll just, share, I'll just show you from Scripture. Daniel chapter 6. Daniel chapter 6. So um, I'll just give you context. What happened was Daniel, he was in the kingdom of Babylon and he was in the leadership there. And the new kingdom came along, the Medes and the Persians. And what occurred was Daniel was taken from that leadership into the leadership of the Medes and the Persians. And he was placed as one of the three presidents, the Bible says in Daniel 6, 1 to 3. And underneath them was 120 princes. And as if you, if you are in leadership, obviously, as a prince, you would have subjects, right? And so the Bible talks about how they try to find fault with Daniel. But yet they could not find fault with him because the Bible says he had an excellent spirit in him. And it's similar, similar with Jesus. That they try to find fault with Jesus. But they, when one witness went up to, to find fault with Jesus, the other one went up, they didn't, they didn't align. And so that's why lies is so deceptive and so detrimental and destructive is because it sows discord amongst the brethren. And if you read Proverbs 6, 19, it tells you that that is what God hates. So it's one thing to speak a lie. I remember I was at college and I was with my um, theology friends and I, we were going to sing at a funeral. And when we went to sing at a funeral, they chose a song. And whenever I listen to songs, I always listen to the theology behind it. Because Satan used to be a choir master. Are you following? And so I was listening to this song and I said, Brothers, I'm not, I'm not playing that song. And they said, Finna, you're, you're being too fanatical. You're being too serious. And I told them, I said, It's one thing to preach a lie. It's another to sing a lie. That song is... It was, talk, yeah, it was talking about how when people die, they go straight to heaven. And that's not what the Bible teaches. And so I told them, Look, I'm not going to play for that. And so it's... The reason why I share that is because no lie is of the truth. And the Bible says in Titus chapter 1, verse 2, it says, In hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began. God is truth. There's no lie in Him. And so where did I tell you to turn to? Daniel chapter 6. Very good. Okay. And so they try to find fault with Daniel. And the only way they could find fault with Daniel is between him and the law. And so they went to Darius and they said, Oh, king, live forever. We want to make a decree that no one worship any other god besides you. And so they went out of the decree for 30 days. And what happened in Daniel chapter 6 and verse 10, you can read along with me. The Bible says, Now when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went into his house and his windows being opened in his chamber toward Jerusalem, he kneeled upon his knees and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he did aforetime. 
Now, was Daniel in the lion's den? No. Why was he praying and giving thanks to God? Do you understand what I'm trying to reiterate to you? Do not wait till you get the victory before you give thanks. Learn to give thanks before the victory comes. And some people will say, man, Daniel must have lived by faith. That brother wasn't in the lines then, but he was giving thanks before the victory came. Learn to give thanks before the victory comes. Matthew chapter 26. Matthew 26. Usually when I study my Bible, often I look throughout the Bible to see examples of it. But then I go to the life of Jesus. And once I see it in the life of Jesus, confirm. I share it. So I want to show you in the Garden of Gethsemane. When Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane and when he was slowly being separated from his father for the first time in eternity, Matthew chapter 26 and verse 39, the Bible says, And he went a little further and fell on his face and prayed. And the Bible says, saying, Oh, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. And so he came back to his disciples once. He went back, prayed the same prayer. Not my will, but thine. Came back, third time, same prayer. Not my will, but thine. Question, what is the will of God? 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. <laughs> Christians on it. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and we'll read verse 16. In the life of Christ, even before Calvary came, though the Bible talks about how his human nature was coming out and how he was struggling to the point where he was prostrate even on the ground praying and pleading and wrestling with his father. The Bible says in 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 to 18, it says, Rejoice evermore, pray without ceasing. Then it says in verse 18, In all things give thanks. For this is the what? The will of God in Christ Jesus continue. When I saw that, when I put that together, I was like, man, wow. Jesus was giving thanks even before Calvary. Learn to give thanks before the victory comes. So when we go back to Ephesians chapter 6, we looked at the armor of God, and we saw that part of the armor of God, it was the belt of truth. You had the breastplate of righteousness, your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Then you have the helmet of salvation, the shield of faith, and the sword of the Spirit as well. And when you study, the word, when you study Ephesians chapter 6, you will find that the only part of the armor which is used as an attack weapon is what? Is the sword. Very good. And, but the sword, remember, the, it says the whole armor of God, right? So then that means the sword by itself is useless by itself. Would you agree? And so when we read in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, the Bible says, For the word of God is quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of the soul and the spirit, and the joints and the marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. So the word of God is quick, but it's powerful as well, right? But in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 2, turn there. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 2. So remember, quick meaning it's alive, powerful. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 2, I'm just trying to show you that the sword by itself is useless. By itself. We need the whole armor of God. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 2. And the Bible says, For unto us the gospel was preached, as well as unto them. But the word preached did not profit them, 
not being mixed with what? With faith in them that heard it. So we have, some of you have been sitting here from last night, not necessarily sitting here like all day. You went home and you came back. But you've been sitting here all day, you've been listening to the word, right? But if you listen to the word and if it doesn't, if it's not mixed with faith, the presentations would be useless. Do you understand what I'm trying to say? The sword by itself is useless by itself. It must be mixed with faith. But remember, faith is not circumstantial. It's not based on the circumstance which you're in. Faith is taking God at his word. That whatever he says he is, he is. Whatever he says he will do, he will do. Faith is taking God at his word. Would you agree? Okay, what have we gone through thus far? We have looked at the armor of God, and we saw that the armor of God by itself, it is useless if it's not together. Then we looked at thanks, how we ought to give thanks to God even before the victory comes. Now I would like, to turn, I would like you to turn with me to Romans chapter 13. Romans chapter 13. Romans chapter 13 and verse 11. Romans 13 verse 11. So the armor of God I, I'm trying to um, propose to you or submit to you right now is that the armor of God stops attacks from the enemy coming from without, right? But from Romans 13, I want to bring out another lesson which we can apply to our lives as well. Romans 13 verse 11. And the Bible says, And that knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep, for now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. You can read verse 12. Okay, question, what is the armor of light? Okay. Okay. Um, one principle which I would like to encourage the brethren, that when you ask a question, answer it from the context first. Yeah? That's right. It is. It's right. But when you look at, if you look at Romans 13 and verse 12, the night is fast spent, the day is at hand. Let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. If you read on, verse 13, it says, Let us walk honestly as in, as in the day, not in drunkenness, not in rioting and drunkenness, not in chambering and wantonness, not in strife and envy. But then verse 14, what does it say? But put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. Remember I told you about the armor of God that it stops attacks from coming from without. When I read this verse, it also tells me it stops the attacks coming from within. Because it says that when you put on the Lord Jesus Christ, it makes not provision for the flesh. So that when the, you put on the armor, you must realize that the armor is put upon your flesh as well, right? So it stops the carnal nature coming out as well. So from without and from within as well. Okay. Use the following. Very good. Re, uh, Revelation chapter 3. Revelation chapter 3. I hope you are following with me. And please smile. It helps me as well. If you could smile. Yeah. Please. <laughs> yes, use it too serious. <laughs> Revelation chapter 3. Revelation chapter 3. And we read from verse 17. Now, when, uh, whenever we read the book of Revelation, remember that... Um, 
Revelation 2 and 3 talks about the seven churches, but there are three major uh, interpretations of the book of Revelation. There are three major interpretations. One of them is the historicist view that looks at the time when John was speaking to the churches all the way down to the consummation of, se- of the second coming of Christ. The second one is called preterism. Uh, preterism, to put it simply, it was established by a, a man named Louis de Alcazar, and he was a Jesuit. And you may ask, what is a Jesuit? A Jesuit is a person... Uh, or rather it was a movement that they called the Society of Jesus where they were employed by the Roman Catholic papacy to counter the Reformation. Put it simply, their objective was to counter the Reformation. So Louis de Alcazar was one of them. It was actually established in 1534 by a man named Ignatius Loyola. He was a Spanish soldier and he, he put this view in and the reason why they put in these views, these opposite views, was to make sure that the Roman Catholic papacy was not identified as the little horn or the Antichrist. So these were the, the prophetic interpretation which was given, preterism. And the second one was futurism. And that was by a man named Francisco Ribera. So what it, what it did was it put the prophecy back in that time and it put the prophecy in the future so that you would lose sight of who it really was talking about. So I just thought I'd just give you that just as a like a just as understanding of the book of Revelation, that there's three major interpretations. But when you go to Revelation chapter 3, we're looking at the last church, um, which is the church of Laodicea. Um, and when you put the two Greek words together, just teach you a little bit of Greek, is like laos and dyke. People, laos, dyke, justice. People that are judged, Laodicea. And so in Revelation chapter 3 and verse 17, if you get there, you can say Amen. And the Bible says, Because thou sayest, I am rich, and increased with goods, and in need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched, miserable, poor, blind, naked, I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich, and white raiment, that thou mayest be clothed, and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear. And anoint thine eyes with eye salve, you can read with me, As many as I love, verse 19, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Verse 20, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hears my voice, I will come into him and sup with him and he with me. Then verse 21 says, to him that overcometh will I grant to sit in my throne, even as I also overcame and sat down with my father in his throne. And the last verse says, he that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Uh, one of the elders at our church, which I call Uncle, he's a doctor, and he's an anesthetic. He's, people, he's a person who puts people to sleep. And what he told us, even in, in light of this, was that when he puts people to sleep, when they have surgery, usually the last thing to go off or the last thing that is left is your hearing. And when I read, this in this, when I read about this church, and I, I believe it's applied to many of the other churches, is that they're in a condition where they're almost dead. They're about to sleep. But then God calls a message that will wake them up. And so in Revelation chapter 3, we find that this church, it talks about lukewarm Christians. And I'd just like to share with you a quotation from Ellen White. She says in the book, if you have a, a notepad, you can write this down. In SDA Bible Commentary, Volume 7, That's 7 B.C. 963, paragraph 6. Listen to these words. SDA Bible Commentary, volume 7, page 963, paragraph 6. She says, half-hearted Christians are worse than infidels. When I read that, I was like, whew. 
You know what an infidel is? She says a half-hearted Christian is worse than an infidel. For their deceptive words and their non-committal position lead many astray. She says an infidel shows his colors, but a lukewarm Christian deceives both parties. He is neither a good worldling nor a good Christian, and Satan uses him to do a work that no one else can do. Wow, when I read that, I was like, man, I don't want to be a lukewarm Christian. How about you? I pray that when you leave here today, you, wanna, you pray in your heart, Lord, I want to be a Christian in my heart. And so when I read that, it's amazing because Satan's greatest agent is someone who is half-hearted. And that's why when we come to church, we, either, we need to give all that we have to Jesus. Just like the song, I surrender all, all to Jesus, all to him I owe. And so verse 21, it says, To him that overcometh will I grant to sit in my throne, even as I overcame. Question, who's speaking? Jesus, very good. So he says, to him that overcomes, I will grant to sit in my throne even as I overcame. What do you understand even as to be? The same way. So then my question is then now, then how did Jesus overcome? I don't know if the previous speakers went over this, but I'm just going to go over it to reiterate it. Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4. We are coming to an end. Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4, and we read from verse 1. Okay. And the Bible says, when you get there, you can say amen. amen. Wonderful. Then was Jesus led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was afterward and hungered. Then verse 3 says, when the tempter, what? Came to him. What did he say? Okay. <laughs> One thing I want to bring to your attention is in Matthew chapter 3, Jesus was just baptized, right? And there was a voice from heaven which says distinctly, not just Jesus, everyone else there heard, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Satan heard that as well. And so after Jesus was baptized, the Bible says, then was Jesus led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And this is a point which I want to bring out, is that the same Holy Spirit which leads you to baptism is the same Holy Spirit that will lead you into the wilderness. And when He leads you into the wilderness, it is in the wilderness that you learn to depend upon Him. And sometimes, I, I guess we do people disservice when we say, hey, look, when you get baptized, everything's going to be fine. Sunshine and rainbows, but brothers and sisters... There are sunshines and rainbows, but you must understand there will be storms as well. But even though the storms may come, we must realize that we know the peace speaker and that we know him by name. Amen? And so the same Holy Spirit that actually leads you into the, to the water of baptism is the same Holy Spirit that will lead you into the wilderness. And so in verse 2, the Bible says, And when he was hungry, after 40 days and 40 nights of fasting, the verse 3 says, And when the tempter came to him. Now, I want to live a life where the tempter comes looking for me. How about you? Sometimes we go looking for the devil. But let the devil come looking for you. Remember in Matthew 26 verse 41, Jesus says, Watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. 
So it's possible to enter into temptation, and it's another thing to have temptation come looking for you. And so with Jesus, the tempter came looking for him, and when he came to him, the Bible says, he said, if thou be the Son of God, command that these stones be made bread. Then verse 4 says, but he answered and said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeded out of the mouth of God. That verse is so practical, you know, that ought to change the way we live to the point where even when you're at the shopping center and you have cake in your trolley, you say, it is written, national Hebrew, bread alone, do you understand? Like, the, when you live that way, to some people it's like, man, you're fanatical. But brothers and sisters, that's how Jesus lived. And I want to live like Jesus. How about you? And so in every facet of our life, even when you want to get into a relationship with someone, the question is, Lord, what, would you have, what, what do you say? It's not my opinion, not my culture. It's what does the Bible say? And when you live that way, God will bless you. And even when you don't live that way, God still pursues you. And so I just wanted to say, look, the first ten, when we read about that in Matthew chapter 4 and Luke chapter 4, um, you find that it's, it's repeated over and over again in those two chapters. Um, but the first temptation which is mentioned, listen to my words, the first temptation which is mentioned deals with appetite. Satan doesn't wait 40 days and 40 nights until he tempts you. Are you following? That's the first temptation which is mentioned. And so the first temptation dealt with appetite. And many of us need to get victory even over appetite. God can give you victory over appetite. <laughs> I was just speaking with a friend even yesterday. And um, he was trying to learn how to play guitar for me. And I was teaching him after one hour and a half, two hours. He was like, he, he said, okay, I'm going to go and eat. And I said, okay, you go and eat. He said, Finn, are you hungry? I said, no, I'm going to go eat at the cafeteria. And he said, no, I have, some, I have some chicken, you know, I have some chicken inside my refrigerator. And I said, brother, I'm, I'm vegan. And he's like, what? <laughs> like, he was so surprised. And I was like, why are you surprised? Is it because I'm Pacific Islander? And... I was telling him, look, I, I gave that up five years ago. I gave it up five years ago. And like God can give you victory as well. Like I'm not saying that if you do become a vegan or vegetarian that you stop being tempted, but it actually helps you. That what you eat actually breaks down into blood and that blood rushes to different organs in the body. And one of those organs is your brain. And it is in your brain that you make decisions in your frontal lobe. And those vital decisions that you make, when you make them so much times, they become a habit. And after that habit, it becomes part of your character. And then after, and character is the only thing you're going to take to heaven, brothers and sisters. And so we need to even get victory, even our appetite as well. I remember when I went to Tonga with my, uh, with my mother, my, my parents, they're here. And... Um, when I went to Tonga, it was very interesting because when I went there, that's when I first started. Man, it was so hard like to get off the chicken. I'm telling you, tell a Pacific Islander to get off chicken. Man, you're touching, you know, you're touching the wrong button. And so um, when I went to Tonga, um, I noticed that the family that I was staying with, um, they were not Adventists, but look, I, I reached them wherever they are. That's fine. And so they were, they were giving me food. They gave me steak in the morning. And I got a plate of steak. And I said, 
uh, thank you so much. I, um, I'll have some fruit. And he started, my uncle started pouring this salt on there. And the thing is, in Tonga is probably, according to the, um, the doctor that works at the South Pacific Division for Health, he said Tonga is the second obese country. Uh, in the South Pacific, yeah, they're very obese. And you wonder why when you go there, when you, you see them eat those things, um, they were eating steak, like this is the family I was staying with. Steak in the morning, a lot of salt. Came to lunch, a steak again, salt. And then dinner, steak again, salt. And the next morning was steak from the previous night. And I was sitting there and I was saying, man, wow. Like, and there's so many non-communicable diseases in the South Pacific. And, um, you know, they, they talk about early intervention and education. Those are important. But if you do not have the willpower to make that decision, you will always go back to default, which is appetite. And so the reason why I share that with you is I read a quotation from Ellen White, which I'm going to share with you. She says in Testimonies for the Church, Volume 3, page 142, she says these words. It is only through obedience and continual effort that we will overcome as Christ overcame. Then she says, the controlling power of appetite will prove the ruin of thousands when if they had conquered on this point, they would have had moral power to gain the victory over every other temptation of Satan. Did you just hear what? If you can gain the victory over appetite, you can gain the victory over pornography. When you can gain the victory over appetite, every other temptation of Satan, you'll be able to overcome. And then she ends the quotation by saying that those who are slaves to appetite will fail in perfecting Christian character. End quotation. Brothers and sisters, overcoming appetite is not a cultural issue. It's not, it's not an epidemic. It's a pandemic. Regardless of whether you're uh, African, you're Australian, Tongan, Samoan, Spanish, each of us, we, we struggle with things. And, and, and I understand that, and God understands that as well. But God can give you the victory today. And, and, and wow, man, thank you for the amens. It makes me more encouraged. <laughs> but yeah, like I've been saying, you can give thanks to God right now. And I've been doing that, brothers and sisters. And it's amazing how God can give you victory when you ask thanks before the victory comes. Like when you do it, to some people when they hear it, they're like, man, you're just being... Uh, What's it called? Prideful or like, you, you understand what I'm trying to say? Like when you say, when you give thanks to God before the victory comes, it seems like you're just being, I don't know what the word is. Presumptuous? Yeah, like you just, but though you ask for thanks, you still have to put the effort in. And so the first temptation um, which, which Jesus was tempted on was on appetite because that's where the ruin began. But the interesting thing I want you to notice was what was it associated with? The first thing that Satan said was, if thou be the son of God. Then he went on to give the temptation. So when I read that, it tells me that the reason why Jesus could also overcome was not just because he quoted the word, but because he knew who he was. And the reason why I say that, please excuse me, but there's some people... They have forgotten that we are Seventh-day Adventists. When you understand who you are, you don't want to be like anyone else. Like you come and talk to me, I'm a Tongan and someone, and I'm proud, humbly proud, humbly proud, humbly proud that I'm Tongan and someone, but <laughs> if there's such a word. But the thing is, 
like, I'm, I'm a Tongan Samoan. I don't want to be, like, please forgive me. I don't want to be a Spanish or a Fijian or, like, I'm a Tongan Samoan. So I don't want to be like everyone else. So when God calls you, like when you know that you are son of God, when you are daughter of God, it will also keep you from entering into temptation. And so when Jesus said, it is written, I want you to notice that Jesus was actually having a present experience with his father. He was in the wilderness. He didn't say it was written. He says, it is written. And by the way, he was quoting from the Old Testament. So there's no New Testament Christians. So it is written. Present experience, but he was in the wilderness. And sometimes when we evade the wilderness, we evade the blessing which God has for us as well. And so what I'm trying to say is that God wants to help us overcome. But there are some things which God doesn't allow us to overcome. I'll say that again. You may disagree. I'll show you from a Bible verse. <laughs> God wants us to overcome sin, yes? But there are certain things, weaknesses, that God doesn't allow us to overcome. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Let me show you. I'm almost finished. Please hang in there. I'm almost finished. I know you have places to go and sights to see. <laughs> in the Pacific Island, the churches, we, yeah, we worship from sundown to sundown, you know? Um, so, um, yeah. I don't, yeah. Anyways, 2 Corinthians chapter 12. 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 7. <clears throat> yeah, are you there? Okay, wonderful. Second Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7. The Bible says, you can read along with me. It says, Lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. Verse 8, For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, that it might depart from me. And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Now, when I read that verse, Paul had a thorn in the flesh. And I believe from my research, the thorn in the flesh was he had problems with his eyes. You remember on the road to Damascus, he was blinded after three days. And when you wrestle with the Lord, what happens is you always lose. So uh, eventually he gave in. He got up. He got baptized. And it was from that experience that he was praying, Lord, please take away this thorn in the flesh. And he prayed three times. Have you ever prayed that way for something? Three times? And God said, no. <laughs> he prayed three times. He said, Lord, please take away the thorn in the flesh. Answer came, no. Lord, please take away the thorn in the flesh. No. Lord, please take away the thorn in the flesh. No. And then the last answer which came was, my grace is sufficient for you. Stop praying that prayer. Are you following? When I, uh, God, uh, He calls us to overcome sin. But there are certain things which He doesn't allow us to overcome. Because if we did overcome it, we will feel self-sufficient. It's as if I did it. And the reason why I share, I, that verse means so much to me. Because whenever I come up in the pulpit, for some reason, there's like a fountain, you know, just pouring from my face. And people say, man, aren't you like scared or frightened? No, I'm not. I love Jesus so much that I want to share with people that God can use you even in your weakness. And so regardless of what your deficiency is, God is able to use you. And so I thought I'd share that with you. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, 
verse 7 to verse 10. Our last, uh, our last part of the um, section, which I'm going to finish on, I, I know I've been saying we've been finishing, we've been finishing, we've been finishing soon. But the whole, you, you went, when you preach, when you understand, whole, like, <laughs> don't quench the spirit, yeah? Sometimes if you have to stay till night. <laughs> nah, we shouldn't weary the saints. Temperance in all things. Amen? Okay, I'm going to come to an end. I'm being serious. Okay, so if you turn with me in your Bible to uh, Proverbs chapter 24. Proverbs 24. So we looked at the armor of God, and we looked how the armor of God doesn't just stop attacks coming from without, but also coming from within. We looked at Revelation chapter 3, which talked about how Jesus says to the church in Laodicea, listen to him that overcomes as I overcame. Then we looked at how Jesus overcame, and he overcame by the word. But at the same time, he knew who he was and the importance of knowing who we are, our identity, which will also help us to gain the victory over temptation. And now the last thing I want to look at is, I, I guess, I haven't been here, but I guess from the presentation which you have been hearing, they've been talking a lot about how we can overcome sin, right? But my question is now, which I want to finish on is, what happens when sin overcomes you? And the reason why I want to share that is sometimes when you sin or when you fall, like it is at those times where you feel, man, if I pray, the Lord won't hear me. Do you understand what I'm trying to say? So the last thing I want to finish on, which will be an encouragement for each and every one of us, it may seem simple, but to some people, I want to let you know that when you fall, that there is always a way back to the throne of God. And so in Proverbs 24, verse 16, the Bible says, if you can read it with me, Proverbs 24, verse 16, it says, For a just man falleth seven times, and riseth up again, but the wicked shall fall into mischief. You see, the Bible says, For a just man falls seven times. But what does he do? He gets back up. And I always wondered, like, it says seven times. That's like the perfect number, right? <laughs> so it gets to a point where after the seventh time, no more falling. And so in Jude 24 and 25, the Bible says, Now unto him that is able. See, the power is not in you. When you realize that, you will know. The power is not in you. Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. To the only wise God, our Savior, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and ever. Amen. And so whenever you fall, I want to let you know that when your mind it convinces you even at times, man, I shouldn't pray, that's when you need Jesus the most. And that's when God is always willing to hear. And it's, it's a powerful thought because sometimes you can fall so far, just like this witch I was telling you about, but yet God still wants to save you. That you, you can look back on your life and say, Lord, I haven't done what I should as a Christian. But God says, my child, I'm still looking for you. And this is the two, two more verses and then I'll finish. Matthew 7, verse 7. Matthew 7, verse 7. I'm being so serious. Matthew 7, verse 7. <laughs> Matthew 7, verse 7. And you can read along with me. Matthew 7, verse 7 and 8. And then we'll go to Revelation 3 and then we'll finish. I'm being so serious. I'm going to finish. I'm finishing now. Matthew 7, verse 7. I always share this wherever I go because when the Lord showed me this, it was so encouraging to me. That I just, wherever I went, 
regardless of which sermon, I would include it in it because it's such an encouragement for me and I believe it will be an encouragement to you because when you fall, what do you do? You rise up again. But for some of us, when we fall, we become so discouraged. Will the Lord accept me? Jesus came into this world to save sinners. And when you realize that, then you know I can, I'm a sinner, I have a Savior. And so in Matthew chapter 7, verse 7 and 8, the Bible says, Ask and you shall receive. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. Verse 8, you can read. Okay. Um, if, if there's any Greek scholars in the, the church, when you look at the Greek word for ask, these are the three verbs, ask, seek, and knock. When you look at those three verbs, if you're a Greek scholar, you probably understand this, but it's a participle. What does that mean? If I put it in plain, simple language, a participle in Greek, it adds ing on the end. So when it says ask, seek, and knock, they're participles. They're not something that you ask once and then finish. It's asking. It's seeking. It's knocking. It's continuous. It's something that you continually do. So the promise is, look, if you ask, you will receive. If you seek, you shall find. If you knock, the door shall be opened unto you. Question, who is that talking about? Who, where is this found in? The sermon on the... On the mount. And Jesus is speaking to who? The disciples, the multitudes. Now he can apply it to us. Is he speaking to us? Yes. What is he telling us to do? Ask, asking, seeking, knocking. So that's something he's calling us to do, right? Revelation chapter 3 and then we finish. Now yeah, I, I told you I was going to finish. <laughs> Now, yeah, I'm closing my Bible. You see, I'm closing my Bible. I'm, I'm complying. I'm closing my Bible. And I've used up all my tissues as well. So, okay. Revelation chapter 3. Revelation chapter 3. Remember Matthew 7, verse 7 and 8? It says, asking, seeking, knocking. That's something Jesus is telling us to do. I want you to notice Revelation 3, 19, 20 as we finish. The Bible says, as many as I love. I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Then it says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock, and if any man hear my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and sup with him and he with me. Question. I don't know if you get this last lesson. This is the most powerful part of the sermon. If you don't get anything from everything that has been spoken today, please take this home with you. Matthew 7, verse 7 and 8. It told, it, Jesus is speaking to us. He's saying, ask continuously, seek continuously, knock continuously. In Revelation chapter 3 and verse 19 and 20, who is asking? Jesus. Jesus. Who is seeking? Jesus. Jesus. Who is knocking? Jesus. Is that comforting to you? Yes. That that which God calls us to do, he's doing. That's, how, that, that's a Christian. Someone who preaches something that he lives. And we are told in inspiration that what a man is has far more influence than what he says. And with Jesus, as I end, I'm not going to make an appeal. I believe that the greatest appeal is the appeal not made. So if you want to stand, that's up to you. <laughs> but what I want to leave with you 
is that when Jesus calls us to ask and seek and to knock continuously, sometimes we can become so debilitated or paralyzed by sin that we don't necessarily ask God. We don't necessarily seek Him. We don't necessarily knock on His door. But Jesus knows that we are so weak that we can't do that, so He came looking for us. He came seeking for us. He came knocking on our door. And you find that from Genesis to Revelation. When Adam, when, he, when, Adam, when he sinned and when he ran away, Adam didn't want to come back to God. God came looking for him. And so this evening, as I finish, there is someone here. They're running from God. I want to let you know that as long as you're running from God, he won't catch you. Learn to run to him. And he will take you just as you are. And when he takes you just as you are, he won't leave you just as you are. So that's the message which I want to leave with you. That the God of this universe is asking for you. He is seeking for you. He is knocking for you. The answer is, will you let him in? Let us pray. Our Father God in heaven, Lord, we humbly come to you. Just thanking you, Father, for what you have done, what you are doing, and what you shall do, both through and in us, Lord. Father, we want to gain the victory over every sin that easily besets us. And we know that we can give thanks to you in faith, because, Lord, you are a faithful God. We, we thank you, Father, that you have spoken to our hearts, and I just pray that whatever message that each and every one of us has taken from here, that we may know, Father, that you are seeking us, you are asking for us, you are knocking at the door of our hearts. And Lord, today we want to submit to you and we want to allow you into our lives, that you may be the light of the world in our hearts, that everywhere we, that we go, that people may know that we have been with Jesus. We ask that you may forgive us, Father, even if we have fallen, if there is someone here who is discouraged and they do not necessarily feel like they should pray because you won't answer them. Lord, I pray that the message which has just been spoken, that they may be encouraged, that it is during the time of their darkest hours that you are ready and willing to pardon. I thank you, Father, that we could seek you this evening, and I pray that you, as you dismiss us from this place, that you may not dismiss us from your presence. Fill us, Father, with your spirit, and help us to gain the victory and to overcome day by day, moment by moment, that when Jesus shall come, that we may see him in the cloud of glory and that we may speak to him face to face as to a friend. We thank you, Father, that you hear our prayer, for we ask it, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. This message was made available by the Watara Seventh-day Adventist Church. For more resources like this, visit waitarachurch.org.au. sing, If Only We Abide. Maybe sometimes you wonder why Your dreams don't realize Your plans just don't work right 
pleasure bringing you this program here on 3ABN Australia Radio.